All right, all right, all right. Good morning, Firewheel family. Oh, come on now. Y'all awake out there? <laughs> all right, everybody, if we can get you to stand, we're going to go ahead and pray before we open up our service. Those of you who are joining us online, we are so glad that you are here worshiping with us. What a privilege we have every Sunday to be able to do this together. And I just want to remind you about something is in our class today, we were talking a little bit about Romans 9 and talking about all these benefits that Israel had, and yet still they didn't respond in faith. And faith is the necessary ingredient for the spiritual life. And I hope that you here today are coming in faith. And I pray that those of you who may not have faith in Jesus will have faith by the end of our time together today. So let's go ahead to the Lord in faith, ask him to be with us as we enter into this service. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we do come believing by faith, and we believe that, number one, you are alive, and that you are right now in heaven looking upon this service, and that you rejoice when you see your people together gathering to lift up your name. We believe by faith that we are, we are weak, Lord, and we are in total desperate need of you. We believe by faith that the hope of the resurrection, that there is hope in the life that is to come. And it's because you have raised from the grave. And so that's the reason why we gather together today. It's the reason why we worship. And I pray that from these broken vessels, Lord, and from these broken hearts, I pray that would pour out beautiful praise. So as we lift our voices, we lift our hands, I pray that our eyes would be fixed on you, that our hearts would be attentive to you, that you would give us ears to hear and a heart to receive, which you would speak to us today. Help us to have expectant hearts. And Lord, we love you and we praise you and we long to honor you. And it's in the most precious and holy name of Jesus that we can pray by the power of the Spirit and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, Firewheel, and welcome. We are so happy to have a guest with us on the worship team this morning. I'd like to introduce to you singer-songwriter, Mr. Chris Carroll. You are 
Why, oh why? 
God, all that I am and find my heart on the altar again. Set me on fire, set me on fire. Oh, take all I have in these hands and multiply, God, all that I am and find my heart on altar again set me on fire set me on fire here i am God, arms wide open pouring out my life gracefully broken
Firewheel, we are in this together, working to reach those in our lives and community with the life-saving message of Jesus. And we all have a part to play, whether it be working with the kids' ministry or engaged student ministries, helping out in guest services or on the traffic or safety team, serving in men's or women's ministry, or training to become a teacher in one of our Sunday morning Bible studies. There's even helping you around the facilities or using your musical or technical talents on the worship or AV team. Prayer warriors are also an integral part of the team at Firewheel Bible Fellowship. There are also opportunities to serve the community through King's Closet, a clothing ministry for the homeless of Dallas, which meets every second Saturday from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. in Royce City, or our Sew Together group, which meets here at the church every first and third Saturday beginning May 15th, which creates fun projects to benefit the community. No matter what your gifts and talents are, there is a place for you to jump in and be a part of what God is doing here at Firewheel. If you are interested in learning more about serving opportunities, visit a kiosk in the lobby or email info at firewheelfellowship.com. All right, well, there it is. Uh, plenty of opportunities to serve. Let's open our Bibles. Everybody say word. Yeah, let's get in the Word. Luke chapter 22 uh, is where we will be this morning. I say that. We'll be there in John 13 and Philippians 2 and Mark 10, 45. Anyway, we're going to be bouncing around just a little bit. Um, but before we get to that, a, uh, a few weeks ago we took a walk where we, we, had, we had an opportunity to see things, an opportunity to get a glimpse of what can be here in this place. And we saw things that relate to, like, here on our property, but I distinctly remember us standing out on the driveway as cars were driving by, and we were waving, and people were honking. We're like, hey, what's going on? And then we turned around, and we saw the houses. And it was like, here's, here's our mission field. I mean, the scriptures literally tell us to love our neighbor, and, and, and we literally have neighbors right next door to the church. And so this is what the Lord has, has been putting on my heart. I'm going to show you a map. Y'all ready for a map? Maps are awesome. And I have my laser pointer out, which is killer. Okay, so here we go. Here is Firewall Bible Fellowship. This is Castle Road. And uh, here's where we're located. These are the houses that are immediately around Firewall. This takes us from Castle over to Merritt, Hickox, down to Castle. There are 1,250 homes within that corridor. 3.3 people per household, roughly. How many is that? Someone do the math. 3.3 times 1250. Yeah, that number. So they, that is roughly how many people are in this community. And so um, what I've begun doing is, is spending time praying over and driving around and hitting people's trash cans. I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but here's what, we're, here's what we're doing. We're taking, uh, taking the, the commission to go and reach people. We're taking that very, very seriously. And so what we're starting to do is we're starting to reach our neighbors. And the first thing we're doing is this week, we are going to be sending out this flyer. This flyer right here encapsulates our message. Go back one slide. Yeah, right here. 
every single mailbox within that corridor is going to be receiving a card that simply says you were loved. You will notice it doesn't say Firewall Bible Fellowship on it. Our first message to our community, to the 1,250 homes, no matter who you are or where you're at or what's going on in your world or where you're from, you were loved. Do you all agree with that? Do you all feel comfortable sending that out to 1,250 homes? Yes. Good. Good. Nice. Okay, and then on the other side is an invitation, and you'll notice it's not your typical church invitation. People know when they receive something from a church, we're inviting them to what? To church. And so what we're doing is instead we're inviting people to family gatherings, to encourage community, to connect with our neighbors. And so through the month of June, we're going to be doing movies on the lawn. And I, I don't know if copyright, am I allowed, Barbara, am I allowed to say the titles? Okay, awesome. We're going to show the Avengers series through June. And we're going to have like costume contests and encourage everybody to come dressed up. We'll have like an adult contest. I know you adults, you, you got your Iron Man stuff going on and it's going to be awesome, right? And then we got the younger kids. And, and so we're going to have movies on the lawn open. It's going to be outside, popsicles, popcorn, everything starts at 8. Then on July 3rd, we're throwing a massive party. We're calling it the You Are Love Family Event. And we're inviting everybody. And so we're going to be sending out this flyer next week. We're going to be sending out another flyer. Go back one slide. This flyer, again, is going to go out before the July 3rd party, and that's going to have all the details on it. And then this flyer, again, is going to go to a greater group. Can you go, please go to uh, the slide? There you go. So this right here is 4,900 homes. So it's roughly 16,000 people. And so this is Castle over to 66 up George Bush, Merritt Road, Hickox, and it goes around to Castle. So we're saying we want every single man, woman, and child in this corridor to know that they are loved. Do you all agree with that? You support that? Yeah! How cool is that? I mean, I was thinking about just as the mail carrier, like 1,200 times, you are loved. You are loved. You are loved. I mean, how amazing. What a message, right? And so the question is, how do we do this together? Because this is not one person. This is not individuals. This is us as a church. We're taking ownership. So how do we participate? How do we get involved in this? Well, the first is we pray. Okay, I want you to pray. As you drive these streets, and I realize some of you, you leave Rowlett and you go to different communities. Your community is loved. But we're just taking a, a, an opportunity to love our immediate neighbors here at the church. And so I'm going to ask that we pray, that we continue to pray, and we look for opportunities. So this week, I already started. So I'm driving down Toller. Some of you know this story already because I posted it on Facebook, and I blasted, straight up blasted a neighbor's trash cans. I was not paying attention. I'm not a good driver, full disclosure, and I was distracted. And Madeline's like, what if it was a person? I was like, that story would not be as cool. <laughs> and I'm making a commitment to you spiritually. I'm going to be a better driver. Um, but I'm driving, and I blasted two trash cans. Just and uh, you ever wondered, like, I drive down the road sometimes and been like, you know, on trash day, you know, just kind of, I wonder what would happen. I found out. So they explode in trash and recycling and all that. So I pull back, and uh, the lady, uh, the mom at the house, she comes out, and she's got her kids with her. And I was like, oh, awesome. I'm super sorry. And she goes, aren't you the pastor? No, I look like him. 
I've heard of that guy. I was like, yeah, I sure am, and I'm super sorry, and I'm loading up the trash cans and all that. And I drove back, and I ended up giving her a You Are Loved shirt, and I uh, was able to tell her kids and the family that, that you are loved, and it was so cool, because she goes, I, I may just watch online this Sunday. And if you're watching online, I want you to know you are loved. And... Uh, <laughs> We, we will, um, I'll, I'll just honk next time. Um, okay, so what can we do? Uh, well, don't do that. Let's not go out and hit trash cans. Um, but we're going to pray and we're going to look for opportunities. The second way we can do this is we can give and we can support this. And I'm never going to ask you to do what I'm not first willing to do. Uh, each mailer costs about $1,000. Uh, to do the greater mailer is about 2000 as a Carroll family, we have, we have decided we're going to put the first thousand down. This is above and beyond our regular giving. And I, I just want to show you that, family, I'm never going to ask you to do something that we as a family are not first willing to do. We believe in this message. We believe that this community needs to know that they are loved. And I need to share something very, very clearly with you. One, I want to encourage you, if you want to be a part of giving, you can give that support and uh, you can earmark it to outreach. But here's, here's something I, I want to say. We do not get to pick and choose who we love. We do not get to pick and choose who we love. And we're sending this flyer out to thousands of households. And what we're saying to these thousands of households is no matter who you are, you are welcome at Firewall Bible Fellowship. And when you come to Firewall Bible Fellowship, you will be loved here. Right? That means every single person in our community is welcome here at Firewall. That means every single person in the greater community is welcome here at Firewall. Family, put aside all prejudices, put aside all hang-ups and hurts and all of the stuff where you look at people and you categorize somebody and you say, well, I sure hope they get on track as quick as possible. We are going to allow Jesus to do the work in people's lives. We are not going to be the Holy Spirit for them. Amen? That means any person is welcome here. Do you all agree? All right. All right. Well, you know what? Guess what's going to happen? We're going to have the opportunity to share the love of Jesus with our community. And we get to do that together. What a blessing. All right. So let's open our Bibles again. Luke 22. I'm going to start with a statement, and then I'm going to follow up with a series of questions. And some of you are going to be like, well, these are kind of heavy questions for a Sunday morning. But we're, we're, going to, we're going to talk through some questions that I think are very, very important. Especially as it relates to the statement I'm about to make. There is nothing greater than being a servant. And when I say that, I'm talking about in the kingdom of God. That family, when we gave our lives to Christ, when we surrendered ourselves to Jesus and his mission and his purpose and his life, well, we were surrendering ourselves, we were surrendering our life and the chasing of this lower K kingdom to a greater kingdom. There's a greater authority. And in the kingdom of God, there is nothing greater than us taking the posture of a servant. But I will add to that, that there is nothing lower than being a servant in the kingdom of this world. 
In this world in which we live, being a servant is, is icky, and it's lowly, and it's cleaning, and it's, it's, it's not esteemable. It's, it's, it's almost something that we, we cringe at. I don't want to be a servant. I want to be served. Being served is awesome. Like, how awesome is it going out to dinner? You know, and somebody serves us. Oh, it's so good. But then all of a sudden, we got to feed seven people in our household three times a day, seven days a week. How many meals is that do we do? 200 and how many meals a week? You remember the math? Yeah, there's times where I'm like, I don't want to cook for all these people. There's nothing greater than being a servant in the kingdom of God, but there's nothing lower than being a servant in the kingdom of this world. And we got to ask the question, where do we derive our sense of identity? These are the questions. Where do you derive your sense of identity from? Okay, Jesus. Where do you derive your sense of value or purpose? Who or what do you turn to to define your status or your significance or your self-worth? Because if it's anything other than Jesus, what we're left do, to do is to scramble and find our significance and self-worth and identity and purpose and everything else. We're going to turn to anything and everything, things like relationships. Isn't this a great picture? Oh, that's like a total Jerry Maguire moment. You complete me. <laughs> I love you. I love you, dude. But here's the deal. There is no relationship, earthly relationship, that can meet the needs of our soul. There is no human being who can meet the needs of our soul. When somebody says, you complete me, and they're speaking of a, a loved one, a spouse, a person in their life, what they're saying is, I'm going to try to have you meet the needs of my soul. And they are incapable when we turn to things to find our significance and worth and value and our identity and other than Jesus, we turn to things like the perfect family. You know what I'm talking about, the perfect family? Like all those wonderful pictures on Facebook, and everybody's just smiling, and everybody's pretty, the house is all clean, and you're like, wow, that's the perfect, and then a week later, there's a divorce. And we're like, what happened? How about uh, things like wealth and success? I mean, who doesn't want to be able to fly our own, their own private jet and, and be able to be like a mover and shaker and on the phone and, and looking good and healthy and you do all that and have health and success? Boy, aren't we chasing that as a culture? How about status symbols? Like houses, like big palatial houses and, and sports cars and exotic cars. There's times where we're driving down the road and somebody will fly by in an exotic car and we'll be like, oh, how pretentious. And then we're like, I wonder how they got that. And then it's like, I, I want that. And we look at it and we're like, wow, look at that watch. Or look at that house. Or look at that car. What we're doing is we're seeking identity and value in these things. How about where our kids go to school? Where do our kids go to college? You know, who doesn't want their kid to go to an Ivy League school like Penn or Columbia or Harvard, Dartmouth, all these, the, and I'm sure, just not very far down the list, there's Texas A&M <laughs> and UT and, and Texas Tech and all that. That was what was so bizarre about the college admission bribery scandal. Wasn't that bizarre? 
you had these incredibly wealthy, like uber wealthy people paying upwards of millions of dollars, like 25 plus million dollars to Rick Singer to get their kids into the best schools. Why? Because it was their identity, their status. See, without Christ, we are left to seek it in everything and anything else. And it never, is gonna, it never will satisfy. And by the way, we're not unique in this. The disciples were caught up in this type of thinking, in this type of, of, of attempts to try to find their identity in something other than Christ. They struggled for desires of status and position and power. And that's why when we look at Luke 22, verse 24, hours before Christ goes to the cross, they are caught up in a massive argument. And, they, and they're just, there's this friction and there's this fighting and they're, they're battling one another. And the question they were asking and what they were, they were trying to prove is that each one of them was more important than the other person and who would be elevated to the greatest seats of authority in the kingdom of God and, and who would take the lesser seats because what they were doing, is, as we'll see, is they were getting the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world confused. And the kingdom of God and, and the kingdom of this world, they, they, they crash into each other. They don't, they don't line up. They don't harmonize. It's like a chainsaw and a cello. They don't go together. And we look at the kingdom of God, and it's, and it's lowly, and it's humble, and it's Christ. And then we look at the kingdom of this world, and it's exalted, and it's proud, and, and, it, and it's great, and, and, it's, and it's something other than the kingdom of God. We look at verse 22, or verse 24, a dispute rose among them. That's a unique word, dispute. It's only used here in Luke. It's a sharp conflict arose among them as to which one of them would be guarded, regarded as what? the greatest. I mean, they're just jockeying for position. Who would be greatest in the kingdom of God? And what they were doing is they were looking at earthly kingdoms and earthly kings, and they were looking at that as the, as the kind of the building blocks of their understanding of the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God is just ain't like that. There's only one for, room for one king in the kingdom of God. And what they were doing is they were looking to world leaders like, like Herod the Great. And history doesn't quite know what to do with this guy. I mean, he was a, he was a great leader. I mean, he was, he was uber powerful, super wealthy. He undertook massive building campaigns. He was the client king of Judea from 72 BC to 4 AD. He did some amazing things. We would say Herod the Great was great, super successful. He was also a monster. In paranoia, he had his children assassinated and, and those close to him so they wouldn't have him assassinated so he could stay in power. Anybody who stood against him, he crushed. In fact, he is the same Herod that had all the children in Bethlehem to and under put to death. Because there was a king who had been born in Bethlehem. These disciples were looking to earthly kings. That is why in verse 25, Jesus said to him, said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. It was a, a gracious title bestowed on absolute tyrants. And so you got these disciples, and they're arguing, and they're looking at people like we look at people. We elevate all kinds of folks in our culture. We're like, look what they built. Look what they created. 
Look at their net worth. I mean, I know I'm not the only one that goes on to networth.com, right? You ever look at a famous person and go, I wonder what their net worth is. And what we're actually doing is we're elevating people. We're exalting them. And some of the people that we exalt in our culture are some of the most spiritually sick. And what we're all exalting is something that is other than the kingdom of, this, the kingdom of God. And so the, the disciples are dropping resumes. And we do this when we get around people, right? Like, what do you do? Well, I, I don't know. What do you do? Where do you vacation? What kind of toys do you have? I can imagine the disciples are sitting there and, and Peter's like, okay, look guys, I, I left everything to follow Jesus. I am the one to rightly declare he's the Christ. I literally walked on water. James and John, did you walk on water? No. How about you, Andrew and Bartholomew? Did you walk on water? No. How about you, Thomas? Did you walk on water? No. No, you didn't. And in fact, from here on out, I think you're going to be known as the doubter. Look at what I've done. And I imagine James and John were like, yo, we already talked to Jesus about this. Our mom got in on it. We're assured the greatest seats. But we're to be different. We're not to get our cues from the kingdom of this world. And that is why Jesus declared in verse 26, but not so with you. You know, our boys at times, they want to behave a certain way or talk a certain way or do certain things because they see others doing it. They're friends maybe, or maybe on TV or YouTube or whatever, and, and, and they're like looking at that as like a pattern for life. And, and then that pattern of life comes crashing up against our family standard. And there's times where we have to look at our boys and we have to be like, you know what? Your friends, that's between them and their parents. And, and the things that are happening in culture, that is, that's not our responsibility. But you know what? You are our responsibility. And we have to tell them, not so with you. That you are to be different. Because we hold our family to a different standard. And that is why Jesus told the disciples, but not so with you, because they and we are being held to a different standard. We may look out at the world and go, well, this is what the world is doing, but we are held to a different standard, not so with you. We may want certain things that the world has, but the Lord is like, but not so with you. You were to be different. We may want to be successful and esteemed and title and power and prestige, but not so with you. There's something we always have to hold on to. The Christian life is costly. It comes at a cost. We have to lay down our life and live for Christ. That's what it means to take up a cross, to follow it, is to lay our life down in humble service. And really, when Jesus tells him not so with you, he's like, here's how you should live. Let the greatest among you become as the youngest. That is, if you want to be great, be like the least esteemed. And, and if you want to be a leader, be a servant. One of the most important attributes of any leader in the church is that they take a, a posture in the heart of service. You know, when I got out of seminary, I was ready to lead. Oh man, I was going to do great things. And I'm so grateful that over 12 years, the Lord broke me down and has taught me and shown me through you as the church that my, my role, my responsibility is to be first and foremost a servant, 
to take the posture of a servant. And the question we have to ask is, who are we emulating when we do that? Who are we emulating when we take the posture of a servant? Well, we're emulating the Lord Jesus, who in Luke 22, verse 27, told, told the disciples, I am among you as one who serves. And this is hard because service comes at the cost of self, and I like self. I like things being about me. But, but true service is setting aside self to serve others. And, and this is really difficult because we often, and this is in my own heart, like I often wake up and I'm thinking kingdom of my world, man. Like uh, uh, I, am, I am to be served and not serving and, and people are supposed to give to me and it takes time in the scriptures to be reoriented to the kingdom that just as we find in, in Mark 10, 45, Jesus' purpose statement, the Son of Man has not come to be served but to what? To serve, that's Jesus' purpose statement. And to give his life as a ransom for many. I am among you as the one who serves. And I believe it was at that very moment in the upper room that Jesus rose from the table. And I believe this is where we pick up uh, the story in John 13. So flip over in your Bible to John 13. We're going to look at verse 4 and 5. Verse 3, and then we'll look at verse 12 and following. Because I believe right as Jesus declared, I am among you as one who serves, I believe he rose from the table. In verse 4, Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. What were the disciples just doing? What were they arguing about? Who's the greatest? Jesus is showing them who's the greatest. And he began to wash the disciples' feet, including Judas's feet, who had already received 30 pieces of silver to, to betray Jesus. He washed the feet of unworthy people. We don't get to choose who we serve. We serve all people. Wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Something so significant is happening here in this passage. I don't want us to miss it. These verses are not going to be behind me. But I want you to turn in your Bible to Philippians 2. This should be a series of verses that we read every single morning. Like to reorient our minds to Christ and to reorient our minds to his kingdom and really how we are supposed to live. Chapter 2 of Philippians, verses 1 through 11, should be our daily reader right in the morning. We should wake up right there. Paul says this, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from love, if there's any participation in the Spirit, if any affection and sympathy, like if you have anything of value, of spiritual value through your relationship with Christ— Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Be in harmony with one another. Check this out. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus, 
who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. That is, he took off his heavenly robes and he put on our flesh. That is the picture of what Jesus is doing in John 13. The disciples didn't see it then. He was taking off his robe of authority and putting on a towel. That is the picture of Christ taking off his heavenly robe and putting on our flesh. Goes on to say, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus took the form of a servant. His ultimate service was laying his life down on the cross. And we read then of his exaltation. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the exalted. But he was first the humble and there's the picture. We take the posture of a servant in this life, and in the next life, in the kingdom of God, we are exalted. It's the paradox. And so Jesus, he begins washing the disciples' feet, and this is the picture of cleansing. And you all know the story. He came to Peter. Peter's like, you're not going to wash my feet. And then Jesus is like, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. And then he's like, well, give me a whole bath. And, Peter, and Jesus is like, no, no, I just need to wash your feet. And, and, and then he washed all of the disciples' feet, and, and then he took off the towel, he put back his robe, and he took his rightful seat. That is the picture of Christ after his suffering and death, putting back on his glory, ascending into heaven and taking his rightful seat of authority. And Jesus asked a very, very important series of questions. John 13, verse 12 when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place. That is the picture of Jesus coming from the Father, taking on our flesh, suffering and dying, rising from the dead, and ascending back to the Father. How cool is that? Then Jesus turned to his disciples. He resumed his place. He said to them, do you understand what I have done for you? And at the time, I'd imagine they were like, well, you washed our feet? Uh... They didn't understand. Sometimes we don't understand what Jesus is doing in our life. But then we look back and we go, oh, that's what you were doing. He, says, he said to his disciples, you call me teacher and Lord and right, you were right for so I am. If I then your teacher and your Lord have washed your feet, you also ought to, what? Wash one another's feet. Y'all remember this is the one another series. We're to love one another and we are to serve one another. And Jesus turned to his disciples. He's like, you guys got to wash each other's feet. Here's the thing. It's one thing to say that Jesus is my Lord and my teacher. It is another thing to live that. You see, if Jesus is my Lord, that means he's my master. And I am to surrender my life to him. It's no longer my life, it's his. And if he is my teacher, that means I am his disciple and I am his follower. And when my teacher teaches me something, I obey. 
That is the rightful, the po- that's the rightful posture of a follower. And so my teacher and my Lord has told me that I am to take the posture of a servant and I'm to wash people's feet. He goes on to say, For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Blessed. I want to live the blessed life. Jesus just declared that the blessed life is the servant life. That's the life of blessing. And it's not only a blessing for us, but we become conduits of blessings to others. I want, I want this statement to really sit for a moment. If we are too important to serve others, we have made ourselves more important than Jesus. If we are too important to serve others, we have made ourselves more important than Jesus. I've given you an example. Blessed are you when you do it. A few spiritual recommendations for us this morning. We open with discussing identity. I want to make this clear. If we're seeking our identity and self-worth and value and purpose in anything other than Jesus, servant will never be enough. It will never be enough to be a servant. If we're, we are seeking lesser things, we will come to discover they will never satisfy. And so I want to just briefly read to you who you are in Jesus, because I think we forget this. When we realize who we are in Jesus, I don't need the world to tell me who I am. I don't need my spouse to tell me who I am. I don't need my friends to tell me who I am. I, I, I don't need a watch on my wrist to tell me who I am. I don't need a nice car. I don't need a big bank account to tell me who I am. I don't need anything else to tell me who I am because when I know who I am in Jesus, he's the one who tells me who I am. I am told that through Christ I am saved. That is Romans 10, 9 through 10. In Christ we are saints. We are holy and set apart. That does not, that doesn't make any sense sometimes because we hear people who are called saints. Like in a certain, like in the Catholic Church, people are set apart as saints. No, we're all saints in Christ. You are a saint. Holy in the righteousness of Christ. In Christ we are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. We are God's special children of grace. In fact, in Romans 8, verse 15 through 17, we are, we are told that from within, we have the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. That means our Father in heaven, he's our daddy. Abba. I love how Romans 8 continues. It says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. If we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. That makes you a king's kid, and that makes you royalty. Had a conversation just this week with a person at the gym, and they were rocked by this relationship that had fallen through, and it wasn't working out, and they were just like this— I don't, everything was just kind of falling apart, and they're a believer, and they're like, I don't know. And I, and I looked at this person, and I said, you've forgotten. You were straight up royalty. You are a king's kid, and your value and your worth is not caught up in what this person's value of you is. You are a son or daughter of the living God. He is your Abba, your daddy. 
we are told that in Christ we are blessed. I love that. We were like, oh, Lord, I, that person is so blessed. That person is so blessed. You want to know what's blessed? Knowing Jesus. You're blessed. Whether we got a full bank account or a little, whether we're esteemed or we're not esteemed, we, we're blessed. We are wonderful works of art. When was the last time you looked at the mirror and you looked at yourself in the face and you said, I'm a wonderful work of art? I am a masterpiece. Now, typically I'm like, um... Oh, and then I do this. I remember when I had a full head of hair. Muy guapo. Not a mas. But that's what Psalm 139 says. A psalmist was able to look at his own life and to say, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I am an awesome wonder. What did he know? He knew that God was the divine artisan and that God don't make junk. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, we are told that we are his workmanship. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in him. That word workmanship, it means he works on us and he's created and crafted. It's the word poema. It's where we get the word poetry. You are God's poetry in Christ. In Christ, we are in process. I love that that he who began a good work will bring it to completion. We just beat ourselves up and beat ourselves up and beat ourselves up, and all the while the Lord is like, I'm working on you. Quit beating yourself up. Satan does that for you. You don't need his, he doesn't need, you don't need his help, and you don't need to help him. He who began a good work is going to complete it, and we are loved and we are more than conquerors, says Romans 8. I just want you to hold on to that because you don't need a relationship to be whole. You don't need the perfect family to be whole. You don't need wealth and success. You don't need status symbols. We don't need our kids to go to the best colleges. There's no need for ego. We are set free, and we're free to be servants because of our identity in Christ. Amen? Amen. All right. I'll say it again. There is nothing greater than being a servant the kingdom of God, and there is nothing lower than being a servant. Let's be lowly this week. Second uh, spiritual recommendation is wash feet. Uh, the question is, what does that mean? Um, I don't like feet. I don't even like my feet. And the idea of like walking up to you and taking your shoes off and washing your feet, that would be weird, right? Because we don't really do that anymore. Um... But there are, I mean, oh man, just cool ministries. I'm reminded of like some homeless ministries that they do go down and people do need their feet cleaned. I remember in San Diego, there was a gentleman who walked up to me. He had no shoes. He was standing in the gutter. Had these brand new boots on. I love those boots. And I looked at his feet and uh, I just felt like the Lord was like, you need to walk in the gutter a little bit. And so I had the opportunity to take my boots off and take my socks off and sit down and wash his feet and put the socks and boots on his feet as tears are streaming down his face. And mine as well. I have never been so honored in all my life to walk through the streets of San Diego barefoot, kicking up water in the gutter. I don't know what it means for you to be a foot washer. But I think it means that wherever you're at in your life, you take the posture of servant. That's at home. 
Husbands, your wife is not there just to serve you. Wives, your husband is not just there to serve you. That was what was so distorted about the love languages concept sometimes, is that everybody went and figured out what their love language is and then used that to beat their partner up and demand that they love them that way. Forgetting that the whole principle was finding out how the other person feels loved and serving them. So whatever that looks like in your business or your, your week this week, whatever that means here in this church, the, the recommendation is be a servant. If somebody, if somebody needs some help, just say yes. I mean, just take the posture of yes. And watch as literally God does miracles through you and be a blessing to others. And then finally, I just want to end here. God's will for your life. I, w- I want to say this every single week so we never forget it. Here's God's will for your life. Maybe you do not have a relationship with Jesus and you don't even know what that means, but I want you to hear this. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life and I will raise Him up at the last day. That is God's will for your life, that you would look to Jesus and be saved and have eternal life. And to that end, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning for this incredible incredible example but even greater Lord your greatest work your greatest act of service is you humbling yourself to the point of death even death on a cross that you're suffering and death you walk through the gutter our gutter And you have risen from the grave. And the Bible declares that all who believe in you, all who look to you, will be saved and receive eternal life. That is where the spiritual life begins. That it is your will, our Father in heaven, that we look to Jesus and that we receive eternal life and that you will raise us up to eternal life. If you have not looked to Jesus, if you have not received Jesus as your Savior, and you feel like God is calling you this morning, to give your life in the quietness of your heart. Tell him, Lord Jesus, I believe. I believe that you died for me. I believe you were buried and I believe you've risen. Please, Jesus, save my life. If that is your heart's prayer, you've passed from spiritual death to life. You are a son or a daughter of the living God. You are an heir and you are a king's kid and you are royalty. The Holy Spirit inside testifying, Abba, Father. Welcome to the family. Lord Jesus, please humble us this week to take the posture of servant, to not exalt ourselves, but to humble ourselves. There's no greater work. We pray for our community, Lord Jesus, that they would know your love, that just as Ephesians 3 declares, that they would know the breadth and the length and the width and the depth of your love for them. That, Lord, just as you declared that you love the world, I pray that we would have that privilege to tell the world that they are loved. Thank you for the privilege of being your ambassadors of the gospel, like Romans 1.16 says, we are not ashamed of it. We are not ashamed of your gospel because we know it is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. Send us out as witnesses and ambassadors this week. May we be your servants. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.
All right, y'all, let's stand together and stretch. It is time to go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering and share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Till we meet again, same time, same place next week. And do not forget, family, you are loved. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.